Welcome everyone to Flyover Footy on the Big 550 KTRS. We have a bit of a different show today. It's going to be more like the Flyover Footies of the past, bit of a traditional one today. It's going to be pretty free form, free flowing. We're going to talk about three different things today rather than what we normally do, which is this show normally airs an hour before the game. We get you ready for the game. We prepare you for whatever opponent St. Louis is facing. Well, today it's going to be a little more free and easy. So I hope you enjoy that. Um, and, you know, while I'm saying it, you know, you can always check out our podcast. And so we have other shows kind of like this if you do like it. So please do that if you are willing and able. Uh, but, you know, let's move on with the show here. We have Matt Baker and we have Stuart Holtgren joining us tonight. Matt, how's it going? Great. I'm excited for what's to come. I'm excited coming off three points. FC Dallas was one of the most untraditional games we've ever played and maybe will ever play in the sense of <laughs> how it unfolded, which is slightly bizarre. But, you know, I'm excited to go to Kansas City. Uh, my family's coming with me. We're going to have, make a weekend of it. We're going to the current game. We're going to the city game. I started my first week of coaching first grade girls soccer this week tonight. So I'm uh, I'm kind of riding high on the whole soccer vibe right now. It sounds like uh, you're having the time of your life, Matt. Those are all really nice <laughs> things, especially going to Kansas City, coaching your little girl's soccer team. Life is good here in St. Louis. Stuart, uh, I imagine you agree after the result, but it was a little stressful. How's your week been, and, and what are you up to this weekend? Well, I'll be in Kansas City, but um, anyone who stays behind should go see the bronze boot match yes. um, at City Park, uh, SIUE versus SLU big traditional rivalry for the area if you're not aware uh no i mean i'm doing pretty well today uh feeling a little uh sheepish that i ever doubted carnell and the boys but you know <laughs> i'm i'm wrong more often than not so uh uh yeah no it's you know we, three points is three points even if it's an ugly game and you you know good teams win bad games so um uh, ride nine to be fair, there's no way you were the only one thinking those thoughts that night, Stuart. That was a wild game, and, and the team's hand was forced. We're going to talk about that in just a second, but I do want to re-endorse this uh, bronze boot matchup between SLU and SIUE. It's so cool they're going to put it in uh, City Park. And you know when they announced the date of that, I was so sad that, yes, I'll be in Kansas City as well. So it'll be cool to run into you guys in, what, the 60% of the attendance that is going to be St. Louis in that stadium, uh, supposedly. Who knows if that's supposedly. true? Uh, but it's going to be a fun, fun night, no matter what happens. But uh, let's dig into it, boys. Let's dig into not that game. We're going to talk about what happened in Dallas, or not in Dallas, playing Dallas. Uh, pardon me. And uh, wild, wild game. I think Matt should get us started um, with some of your thoughts on that game. I don't know if you want to talk about the lineup or not. It almost doesn't matter because it got so crazy. Yeah, but I do. I do like to start there. And so it's it's I've muscle memory from when Santi and I do fly or fallout. I always love to start with the lineups because it, it sets the stage so well, even if everything came off the rails like 12 minutes into the game. Mm -hmm. So starting with this lineup, having Kyle Hebert, Tim Parker, Josh Yarrow and Akil Watts on the back line. No real surprises there. I think we were all kind of hoping to see Joachim Nielsen, but this, to me, foreshadows more than anything his likely availability to start against Sporting Kansas City. So I was not displeased to see him not in the starting lineup. Having uh, Leuven and Blom in the midfield made a whole lot of sense to me. You have AZ Jackson there at the 10, Jared Stroud, Rasmus Alm on the wings, and Sam Adeneron starting up front. No real surprises to me, and I thought this was a very strong lineup, and I, I thought this was... 
I was I was challenged at this on Twitter, calling this a strong lineup, primarily because apparently there's an opinion that Josh Yarrow and Akil Watts don't play well together or or haven't had a good run of form lately when they're together in the lineup or something along those lines. And so instinctually, I just thought that was a bad take. And so I looked into it and it turns out that in games where Josh Yarrow and Akil Watts have started together at the center back and right back and toss in AZ Jackson because he's been with them each time, we were coming into this game 5-0. and and so it's it's Akil Watts at that right back position that is extremely strong, and he's really settled into that spot to me as a, a great tactical option, pushing forward as well as playing defense, more of a, a wing back if you were looking at it than anything. And if you look at our shape of the way this starting 11 operated at least early on, but even in the past few games where Hebert stayed at the left back role, we tend to be, uh, Carnell referenced this a few times as asymmetrical, and so we often talk about the passing network on fallout and the asymmetrical shape. What that what that means is in the offensive possessions and offensive looks, we tend to push Akil Watts very high and shift over Kyle Hebert to be a more left center back. And Jared Stroud tends to take up a left wing back role if you're looking at it, if you're looking at the shape, the way we push forward. I find that really fascinating and I see a lot of good things especially hearkening back to our desire to see a three center back look early in the season. I don't think people realize that we've been seeing that pretty consistently for the past couple of games. It, it is consistent. And even when I see Hebert stay back, I start trying to find a formation outside of the three center backs and it's pretty difficult. The rotation is very fluid and you know, that's something I've been wanting to nail down. And I, I haven't taken the time to really watch carefully because I get too excited about what's going on, but um, that's a really fun one to watch. I encourage everybody to kind of figure that out. Maybe it's something we could all have a call-in show and kind of give our ideas or throw out our lineups for the three center back formations uh, when it happens in the attack. Um, Stuart, what do you think about the lineup? Is there anything other than the lineup if you'd like to stray talking about the first you know, little bit of this game here? Uh, I mean, I thought the lineup was as strong as we could have put out. Um, <clears throat> or just about as strong. I mean, obviously Klaus and, and maybe Nielsen, but you can't drop Yarrow or Watts at this point. Um, <clears throat> I mean, we're just too solid without him. Watts is our first choice right back at this point. Um, I I was going to ask you, you, Matt, actually, will our asymmetrical shape shift once um, Markovic oh, yeah. uh, takes in? Are we going to be more symmetrical or will we kind of, do you think uh <clears throat> I think it has to shift. I, I think and that we saw it in the second half. So not mm-hmm. to get too ahead of ourselves, I think that's what it um looks like. Not too dissimilar from how Nelson and Nerwinski played when they were playing well together at the beginning of the year and we were we were on the win streak. That's the kind of look that I expect when Markanic actually starts to get more minutes, which I am a big fan of, especially given his limited minutes the past two games. I think he's a difference maker. He inserts himself near the ball, good or bad, he inserts himself, and he tends to make things happen, uh, whether it's it's usually higher up on the field, which is something notable to me in that the two appearances, he's been a very attacking-minded left back, a very different look than Kyle Hebert, and that does provide 
the change of pace that is often needed in these second half subs. So you're looking to make tactical adjustments to not just how the game flow is going, but this is a really interesting look, taking Kyle Hebert out and putting in um, Anthony Marcanic because of how different their styles are and what they're comfortable with. Hebert, obviously, when I mentioned, often drops back as a left center back, very defensive-minded. He comes from a center back home. That's his bread and butter. We know that. We know the story of how he hasn't played left back until he was needed to this year against Sporting Kansas City the first time, mind you. And so having Marcanic in there can kind of even and, and make it more symmetrical where you do have two attacking fullbacks as opposed to um, you know a wing back and pulling your left mid down a little bit. The interesting thing I saw that we did last night, and I know we were up a man, but the way that our shape shifted into Jabulu Blom dropping back into the right center back role. Did you guys notice that, the way it progressed? And yeah. I think that that is where there's a real opportunity as we look at Anthony Marcanic in how he can make a difference. So whether it's two attacking fullbacks um, or however Marcanic actually ends up being employed, the importance of Jabulu Blome is going to be magnified just exponentially because if you push ahead now both of your fullbacks, you're going to need that extra defender at some point, whether it's dropping back centrally or dropping back to the right side, which where he's more strong, Jabulu Blome, he is going to be so much more important beyond how his regular importance is in controlling the pace of the ball on both sides, offensively and defensively, in being the stopper and, and just stopping every attack from coming through. His role can be more versatile the way that we change up our fullback looks. Yeah, and he might have also been a placeholder for a full-on three-center-back setup, um, you know, a placeholder for yeah. Nilsson, one of Nilsson, Hebert, or Parker, if we were to go to that sort of move, which would probably have more traditional wing-backs, even if it was a starting 11. Um, you know, that was, you know, we've seen Carnell. I, I don't disagree with you, Matt, but I do just want to say that it is possible that he was just a placeholder in that situation because we've seen Carnell, once he needs to start ch making changes, he'll just throw anything at the wall in yeah. a way, just throwing people in weird positions. And we saw a little bit of that at the end um, with um, with Blom and, of course, Alm, and, and we'll talk about that kind of stuff. But um, I think we should rewind a little bit because we are going to circle back. It's going to be a perfect way to close up this Dallas conversation. STL City Italians asked a great question on Twitter, and I think we'll circle back to all of these kind of mentions and these questions here at the end, but I do want to get to the red card, the first red card, I should say. Matt, do you want to lead us into that and kind of transition us into the next part of the conversation here? Yeah, I mean, just what can you really say about the red card? First of all, it changed, changed the entire course of play, and everything that had started was thrown out the window as soon as that happened, and I find that it was fascinating how it was thrown out the window, but all credit, all credit in the world to Rasmus Alm. Mm -hmm. Rasmus Alm is the player who forced this red card to happen. And it was a boneheaded move uh, by, by uh, Pace. It was a terrible decision to come out of the box. It was a terrible decision to put himself in a harm's way. If he's going to come out of the box, then you, you dive with your feet, you clear the ball. You, it was just awful decision. And I think they paid the price for it. But Rasmus Alm, we talk on this show so much about push points, about mm -hmm. smart pressing, because this team, and Carnell has said it, cannot be an all-out pressing team. You cannot be pressing every single moment of the entire game because you're going to wear yourself out and you won't be able to make any type of tactical plays later on offensively. Like, you're just going to wear yourself out. It's not going to work. And that's how 
That's how teams like St. Louis City with their high octane styles often peter out later on in the season in the, in the hot months. And this that's what we were exactly concerned about with our style of play is July, August. Can we maintain that in the St. Louis summer heat? And the reason we can maintain it is by being smart with our push points, being very selective on when to press. We've seen it consistently from Nico Joachini here in the past few months of he doesn't press all the time, but when he does, it's followed up immediately by his wingers, those behind him, the attacking mid, AZ Jackson, Rasmus Alm, Jared Stroud. They make a corresponding move to cut off a line of sight or a line of passing. And what Rasmus Alm did here is he saw a moment and he saw an opportunity where the ball was being passed back. It was in open space, didn't have the pace to it to really make anybody effective in receiving the ball. And he pounced on it. And when he, when he reached, when he reached the point where it was Alm V keeper in the open space, he was just forcing bad decisions and the bad decisions previously had been like back passes, but this bad decision was a handball outside the box and it changed everything. It did change everything. Stuart, what did you see following that red card from City? I know you're that was this is kind of the hot zone of starting to get pretty frustrated, right? Well, I mean, they parked the bus for 78 minutes of the match. You could throw away the keys. (laughs) Yeah, you could tell that they were really uh, I mean, they changed up the game plan first. But also, I, I found it really kind of funny that Dallas players confronted the ref and wanted to appeal that red card i mean it's the rules pretty pretty cut and dry on that one you you handle the box or the ball outside of the box as a goalkeeper your your red card i mean getting sent off um so uh no i i it was frustrating not being able to break through and i i thought it was uh one thing we were pretty poor on that um normally we're very good on was our, our set pieces our uh, ball deliveries and we're we're pretty pretty off way too many that went over the head of um, everyone really and past the far post um just such a frustrating game to watch and if we're frustrated i i can only imagine how frustrated all the guys playing were and I, and I think i agree i think it has to be said too the time wasting in the first half was rampant and it was without penalty from the referee i think that's notable just want to note that for now because i do think it'll it'll come up later matt any other thoughts about the the first half the lineup the changes that were made yeah i mean the dallas parking the bus they brought five to the back consistently and when Mm -hmm. i say to the back i mean as deep as humanly possible and they three in front of them so three midfielders and then kind of just a you could call him an attacker. You could just call him a, a floater. But the the way that they were consistent in that prevented a lot of connection to Sam Adeneron. I I was I, I found myself being disappointed in Sam in the first half, but then I caught myself because the when I said that this changed up everything, I mean that it changed up everybody's abilities to do what they like to do best. And I think this could have been a really fun, interesting game had the red card not occurred. Um, I didn't expect myself to be ruining the red card in the sense that it really threw us off for 82 minutes. <laughs> but but as the first half progressed, it was Sam Adeneron, it was AZ Jackson that I was really frustrated with because they couldn't find space. They couldn't find connections. My, uh, my wife was st- sitting next to me and she was just like – 
really frustrated with Sam's inability to find clearances anywhere. And she was, it was very notable. And I agreed because what Sam was usually adept at doing is hold up play is finding himself in behind the lines and making those runs and being very quick, but with such a deep line, you're not going to find any opportunity to do that. And especially because Dallas forced us into possession. Unlike any we had seen so far, there was, there's a stat I've got at the end that will show about possession, but we possess the ball uh, in the first half, especially at least two times more than we've ever possessed it before. It was, it was approaching 70% and it was, it was astronomical and we didn't know how to create chances in that style of offense. And it was very abundant. Yeah. I mean, the lineup that was chosen was not chosen for possession of the ball, breaking down a, uh, you know, a boss in the back parked in the back. It, it wasn't, it was made to, you know, get turnovers, run forward, get behind the lines. Like you were saying Matt. and, and Dallas, you know, I, I'm constantly surprised that more teams don't game plan against St. Louis. I know it's hard to just up and change everything about how you're going to play one team. Uh, but, you know, St. Louis struggles against, um, you know, low block defenses like this. And so I think Dallas knew that and said, well, we lost a guy. Let's just, you know, pile into the back and just see if we can win, get a draw out of this. And it was smart um, and it almost worked, uh, but it, it didn't. But, you know, it took a while, right? Let's get into the second half. I think we finally see um, Obreon get a, a foul, a yellow card in the 46th minute pretty quickly. I'm seeing a bunch of yellow cards on the Dallas side. It yeah. almost felt like um, an adjustment from the referee. Um, Farfan finally got the first time-wasting uh, yellow card, and I noticed... Long um, overdue. Yeah, and I noticed that Maurer and other guys were wasting less time after that as well, even though Mar didn't have a yellow card. Um, it was it was long overdue. It, it, the game would have been better and more enjoyable if he had given that card sooner, even in the first half. Um, but that's you know I'm, I'm not a referee. I don't know much about that. I'm just talking about my frustration. But you know, let's get into this. We didn't get another. Oh no! At the half, we got two subs. Uh, Nuke Vitorsen and Markanic came in. Oh, three subs and yeah, Vassal 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 Stroud, too, yeah. Pardon me. Yeah. So let's talk about those adjustments. Stuart, it's been a while for you. What do you think about those adjustments? Were they, I don't know, how'd you feel about them? Well, I mean, anytime you're making subs at half, uh, you're very much changing the strategy and the approach to the game. And I think everyone knew after not being able to break down Dallas for uh, Red came in the 12th minute. So that's what, uh, 30 minutes, uh, 32 minutes. Hmm. So, um, yeah, a change was needed, and I thought it was the right call. Obviously very targeted that they were all on the left side that came out. Um, so it was clear that I think uh, Carnell wanted to shift that whole asymmetricalness and give some options on the left side. Um, it, was, it was the right move. I loved it at the time. I still think it was the correct move uh, to make. Uh, and obviously Mark Hanek is the hero of the day along with Nukvi who are not to get ahead of ourselves, but you know, they, they were our left-hand side subs. What'd you think Matt? I thought it was good that they made the subs so early. I think uh, yeah. a, a pension of Carnell is to wait a little too long to make subs and to let guys find a rhythm in the second half and see if they can um, either change what they need to amongst themselves 
tactically or find a, a, a different rhythm or a consistent rhythm, maybe even keep the same. But this was a very, I, I like to see this, and it was a very attacking-minded substitution. We talked about Mark Hanick's attacking ability when he was with Creighton, I believe. it was uh, he, he was one of the record-setting goal scorers. You know, he's, mm. he is uh, adept and familiar with scoring goals. And he's proven in two games with City that he lives on that attacking left wing, and he will find himself deep very often and impact the plays, like I said. The other two changes, Sam and Deneron going out for Nukvi. I have, like I said, I, I don't want to harp on Sam too much because part of it definitely wasn't him. It was the situation he was being thrust into, wasn't working out. Carnell recognized that, got him out, also possibly saved him a little for Sporting Kansas City. And Thorson got a, a, a half's worth of work. And so I enjoyed seeing more use of those two guys in addition to the overall change of change of look. And then I think Indiana coming in for Jared Stroud, it was more, I think that ended up being like setting you up for Indy owning the midfield later on when Jabulu Blom dropped back. This almost seemed to be like you're, pre- you're preparing yourself while still getting fresh legs and having a more creative player with the ball in the game for Jared Stroud. Because at this point, with FC Dallas being having parked the bus, you're not needing that hard-nosed player to go and win the ball back from the opposing team. You're not needing that player to be uh, really gutsy and uh, just going 1v1 against the opponent because that's not what's happening in the flow of the game. And so getting Jared Stroud off, which he's great at all those keys, I, I made a whole lot of sense to me. And it also set up Indy, like I said, well for what would happen when later on in the game when Klaus came in. In general, I think this these three were about as effective as anything else in the first half, at least for mm-hmm. the first 30 minutes or so that they were in. And, and that's part of why I like to see this move so early because I don't like the idea generally of if you need to make game-changing subs and you're needing them to make an impact to the game, then you get them in there in the 75th or 80th minute and you hope that they can take 10 minutes to do something. Well, they these guys had a longer run out there. They were able to take an entire half and tactically flip everything on its head with what Stu said, making it a very symmetrical approach. You still have Akeel Watts in the game at this point until the 71st minute. Now you have an attacking-minded Marcanic. You're able to have both wings as dangerous. This widens the field. It spreads out what FC Dallas has to defend. And when you're able to do that, even a five-man back line is stretched a little thinner each time when you're pressuring them on the wings with Marcanic out there and Watts out there, and then having Alm and um, Alm and Thorson roaming those wings as well. And then it eventually sets it up for what I think happened. What happened in the 82nd minute with Marcanic scoring, I think is a direct result of all of these pieces adding up together and what FC Dallas was trying to defend against. And it was just the exclamation mark was Klaus coming in in 71st minute and the respect that he's garnered and what he was drawing because the the replay was very clear that nobody was watching what Marcanic was doing because everybody mm-hmm. was so wide and paying attention to Klaus and the ball. All of these things snowballed. So in retrospect, I think that this was a goal that was coming from the beginning of the second half, even though it definitely didn't feel like that in the moment. Yeah, but you know, I, we had a long way to go from that 46-minute uh, triple sub to that goal. Um, you know, what is that? When did that goal come? The 80 second was, you know, I agree with you, everything you just said. And I just want to kind of review a couple things about the triple sub. 
is that Markanich replaced Hebert. Hebert, who was kind of a stay-at-home uh, left back, we become more of a normal four-man back line with attacking, very attacking fullbacks. Mm-hmm. But with um, with Vasilev coming on for Stroud and Thorson coming on for a dinner on, we saw that Alm was starting to play striker, which I thought was an interesting choice. And I thought that the reason that happened was clearly um, uh, clearly Carnot was thinking Sam's not going to score in this environment. And I think I think he was putting his chips in the Alm category and also saying that, unfortunately, we can't bring Klaus on at the half because I yeah. think he would have if he could have um, because, you know, Klaus was more made for this situation than maybe any other striker on the roster. But it was cool to see that Thorson was kind of playing left as, as an attacker. It seemed like Jackson was still central with lots of freedom, but we saw Vasilev and um, we saw Leuven kind of play as these like semi wide eights, you know, almost as like attacking dual tens looking like um, that, you know, Greg Berhalter would kind of talk about earlier in his USMNT career. And so these guys are just like pushing pretty high. So we've got like almost like five guys, you know, pushing around in and around the box, plus the wide players and Watts and Markanik. And, you know, mostly we just have Blome and two center backs to kind of catch any counter, which did catch up to us once or twice. But just to kind of frame a reference that I thought Carnell did exactly the right moves with what he was allowed to use in that moment. I wouldn't have done anything differently. I think it was cool that he did it in the in the beginning of the second half. Um, and I do agree with you, Matt. I think you kind of said that they wore him down. And eventually, once Klaus came in, I thought that's where we saw fruit of that labor, not to mention, you know, lots and lots of shots coming close. I think my only frustration with those changes is that we were crossing into Alm like crazy, which is just not what you should do when someone like Rasmus Alm is your striker. And it was frustrating. But I think we saw that. No, they were going for a lot of crazy shots, hoping for a rebound because our guys were crashing the box every time. And we came close a couple times. So I preferred that to just banging our heads against the wall, doing a million crosses. It reminds me, I think it was the Portland game at home. We were doing that before City finally kind of scored at the end. It was it was just killing me. I couldn't take it anymore. Um, but I've spoken a lot about that. Let's talk about what happens when Klaus comes in. Markanik gets his goal. Ostrak comes in before that as well. This is the last little segment here. We got to kind of push through it so we can move on. Uh, but Stuart, let's start with you. What do you think about Klaus coming in, Ostrak coming in, and just like those two? Finally, we got those two goals there. Well, my first thought was uh, kind of a, a worrying thought in the back of my brain, wondering, well, why is he waiting so long to bring Klaus on? He's the obvious uh, next sub to bring on like is he not fully fit is he just being rested for kansas city which is understandable um or is he on a minute restriction and he really has to wait until there but i mean you can you can see klaus's impact on the um thorson goal where he has that incredible dummy now do you guys think that dummy was intended yes. or accidental intended I hope it was. I think it was, but it, I'm like 60-40 on it, to be honest. Well, and the reason, so I'll, I'll say the reason, I'll make my case, is if you look at the replay, uh, when when the ball was sent in, um, Klaus makes a, a quick look back. I mean, it was incredibly quick to see spacing, and I want to say he saw uh, Mark Kanik behind him uh, before he 
Mm. Before he did anything. Now you're wait, are we to be clear, are we talking about the Marcanic goal or are we talking about the Thorson goal? The Thorson was the dummy, in my opinion. Yeah, the Thorson was the dummy one. So the the Marcanic one was the one where Klaus was just in the box as the only person. Rasmus mm-hmm. Alm sent it up from a, a deep cross. The Mark the Thorson goal was the Edu Leuven cross from uh, deeper towards midfield. And Klaus did the little heel flick pretend thing. <laughs> and then Thorson caught it from behind. I think Markanic just was in the right place at the right time. I don't know what you think, Stuart. Yeah, but- I'm, I'm watching it again right now. <laughs> and I Oh, yeah, I think it was absolutely intentional. And uh, I just can't get enough of... Uh, Nukvi's headband. <laughs> oh yeah, I love it's how noticeable fitting. it is. It's perfect. <laughs> but that As silly dance. It's very royal tannin bombs. It reminds me of that a little bit. Oh yeah, <laughs> phenomenal. The um, the thing I like about the Marcanical though is it, it, it. So Klaus was the only one in the box, right? When uh, when Alm crossed this one over, Klaus was the only one in the box amongst like I want to say six Dallas defenders. And then out of nowhere, Markanic, our left back, appears at the far post and knocks it in. The they they lost track of him clearly. Nobody on the Dallas line was actually looking for a player. They were all looking over at the ball. They were looking at Rasmus Alm. They're looking at those in front of him. They didn't, they had it seemed like they were overconfident in the fact that they were at such a deep line and they had so many numbers back there that they felt they didn't need to worry about being exposed and having space found between them. And that's one of the things that I think St. Louis, when I said that I felt like it was a slow burn when I look back on it, what I mean is that they kind of were pulled a little further apart as the half went on. And so where they might have been tighter in the first half, definitely tighter in the first half, and then in the beginning of the second half, just the the nature of the way Markanic was able to play deep or higher in, in the attacking end moved the five-man back line a little wider each time. And so they got to a point where they are wide enough where they still think that they have the numbers back there to control the space, and they didn't. And Markanic was able to find a hole behind Klaus, behind seven or eight defenders back there. And it was a great cross in by Rasmus Alm. That was that was one of the things I love too is the, the one of my favorite stats from this game is the fact that coming into this game, we had been averaging 18 crosses per game. And in this game, we had 32 crosses. <laughs> this is another thing where if you look at it, most of the crosses came later in the game. And uh, I, I I asked Roman Berkey today or on the Thursday press conference about like, what do you do in, in these scenarios tactically or things you see when we make such a big change to have a defensive-minded left back versus an attacking left back or changing up the three-man three, three man back line to a four in the attack or all these changes that occur on the back line and in the midfield, what do you do? And so he talked about the pace of play necessitated the fact that he didn't see too much action, but he did call out very loudly in the second half, we need to be crossing more. Hmm. And, and I think that helps set up some of this is – the crosses help spread help spread out the defense, and it gives our players opportunities to find space in behind, in on top of people. And so, all these things combined, eventually, like if you if you throw a dart at a board enough times, eventually you're going to hit the target. And that seems like that's what happened between the shots, the crosses, and it just worked out for Markanic finding himself in behind Klaus for the goal. Yeah, and and it, it, I I do think it made a massive difference that Klaus came in, and I think it gave the defense more to worry about. You know, we see 
there were six guys in the box and there was a seventh defender kind of pushing toward the ball. And I do think that that deflection helped on the Markanich goal, uh, Markanich goal. But, um, you know, it, it we saw two se- uh, center backs on Klaus and then Markanich was able to take advantage of the, the right back kind of watching the deflection and not looking for a man. And he, he really capitalized on it. But I do, you know, as much as I was getting frustrated at all the crosses, once Klaus was in, it was kind of like, okay, we're on, the cross is on again. Um, and But either way, you know, Markanic, I thought Thorison is the, these are kind of guys that can get those, just make, take advantage of a mess in the box. One deflection, one random ball falling to their feet, and they're able to cut and punish um, the defense on that. And we finally saw it in the 82nd minute there. And uh, it didn't take long after that for the 85th minute goal. It was Thorson um, on his assist from Leuven um, with the dummy from Klaus, as we were kind of talking about. Um, I do agree. It was, it was a bit of a dummy. But, um, you know, I thought it was cool that that St. Louis kind of once they scored a goal, Dallas was forced to push again, right? They were forced to try to attack and get that goal back. That, and was, that was funny. City was able to play their game again. And two, and a man up or two men up at this point? One, because the second uh, double yellow, and they ended up giving it to another player. So for a brief okay. moment, they were down two. And then I get, I don't know if VAR looked at it, but they gave, uh, I think it was Quinone the the yellow instead of somebody else. That makes more it was sense. Farfan might have. I yeah. was very confused in that whole situation, but, um, you know, it's as was everybody in the stadium because <laughs> MLS doesn't announce anything that's going on to fans in the stadium. <laughs> they didn't. Uh, but you know, it, I think city was able to kind of do what they wanted at that point. What well, you know, they were one able thing to press do, and it just looked like normal city at that point. One thing I do want to say, sorry for cutting off Phil is, is about the Thorson goal. And I just want to reiterate, that's the goal that I meant about, it looked like Klaus had looked behind him because Leuven was prepping for the cross from really deep, from near midfield. He was prepping for the cross and Klaus could tell it. And you could see this moment and it's in the highlights that are posted around that Klaus takes a quick turn back to see space, to see who's there. And the reason that I think it was a very intentional decoy is because a Klaus is good at that kind of thing. Like he is Mm. uh, deceptively good with the ball at his feet, deceptively good at controlling on or off, whatever he wants to do with the ball. He does it in training all the time with these little heel flicks that we see Joachini do a lot. Klaus does them a lot too in games. But he's so adept at controlling the ball, whether he wants to or let it let the ball do whatever it's going to do. And this was him knowing that there was space behind him that had opened up. And he was drawing in defenders with him in the box. That's just what Klaus does. It's one of those intangibles that Klaus offers in the game that does go along with the fact that we scored both of these goals after Klaus entered. He just garners more attention. He is that person in the league now who they, they know and respect him. So when he's in the game, he'll he'll earn that respect and he'll earn that coverage. And it now allows players like Nuke V. Thorison to play off of him, find space, because he saw it too. As soon as he started running, he ran away from Klaus into the open space to receive the ball. I am I am almost as certain as I can be that Klaus intended to not touch the ball because he knew that Nukvi was behind him. He knew the space was behind him. And I also know that Nukvi intended to receive that ball every mm. step of the way because he ran. He didn't run to play the ball off of Klaus. He ran to play Leuven's cross. Agree. And, I, you know, just to kind of expand on that, I think Thorson was the perfect player for this kind of uh, game situation just because he is 
in his past and his former teams, he is so good at capitalizing on those weird bouncing balls. He is able to be in the right place, look for a rebound, and just finish. The man has really good finishing skills. He finished this one with his left foot on a weird bounce at the far post. You could see he adjusted his whole body, he adjusted his foot, foot angle, and was able to also be deceptive in the way he did those things and send it to the near post. You know, The goalkeeper couldn't jump either way confidently because he did such a good with deceiving him. Um, and it went right where he intended it to. And that's the stuff I notice with finishers because I do think St. Louis, other than Klaus, and sometimes Joe Keeney does some crazy stuff that I can't explain. But, you know, I think Nukvi is a consistently good finisher that we can count on um, if we can get him in the right place at the right time, which I'm not saying it's going to happen every time, but it did pay off in this way. And I truly think that's exactly the kind of thing that Lutz thought we needed. And I think that we got in, in Nukvi in that in that regard. So I wanted to say that, um, Stuart, any last thoughts on the game overall? Uh, I think we can each do one more kind of thought before we move on. Uh, just that uh, I thought, of course, Berkey was great per usual, but if you're going to have to give up a howler, mm-hmm. uh, do it at the very, very end of a 2 nothing game. Uh, feel, I mean, I think he obviously felt worse than anyone to uh, lose a clean sheet there, especially knowing that his back line had, had played so well and fought so hard that whole game. But um, no, just uh, amazing, amazing game by Josh Yar. I want to give him a mm-hmm. shout-out in particular. Agree. Matt, any thoughts? My last thing is uh, this was the first MLS match where City had greater than 50% possession and won the game. They'd won previously with with 50% exactly against the Portland Timbers. Uh, They won in the U.S. Open Cup with 52% possession against Omaha. Uh, But this was the one that it it could have gotten away, and it did get away so many times, but I I just got to give credit to the fact that we had 66% possession in this game, far and away the most we've had this year, and we actually won a game while doing that. Uh, 22 shots in this game. Only six on goal, which is kind of we, we we touched on all the reasons for this. The crosses thing was really cool. And Matt, I'm so glad uh, that you said what you just said there, um, because I do think that's really cool to bring up uh, something that most people wouldn't have noticed. I just want to kind of reiterate um, that, you know, I think a lot of people are really upset with how City played in this game and really frustrated. And maybe a lot of those came during the game, which 110 oh, percent. Yeah. I feel you there. But, you know, I just want to I want to remind everyone this team was built to press you know, quick transitions to be athletic, to turn over the ball and create chances in that way. It's just this roster is not built to possess the ball. And I think um, Carnell handled it really, really well. Yes, he's been given the tools by Lutz um, to do what he did today. And I do think those two new additions who are the two goal scorers were absolutely massive. Um Massive tools that Carnell was able to use in this game. Really helpful to get the win. Um, but, you know, it's not a surprise that St. Louis struggled in the first half. Um, and it's not a surprise that they still weren't able to break through with three subs, even though the adjustments I thought were perfect for what we had. Um, sometimes you just need a Klaus. Sometimes you need a DP who can do all the things that he does, who can draw more defenders and create space and opportunities for other guys. And that's just what we got. And that's what got us over the hump. And you know what, guys? It's MLS. That's how it works. That's what DPs are for, is to create excitement 
on and off the field and Klaus delivered on that one. Leuven clearly has delivered this season. So I just want to encourage everyone. If you felt like this game was bad, well, yeah, this isn't what we were built for. Um, but you know, they delivered anyway, everybody. And so in my opinion, I, I just want to say that I was proud of everybody. I'm proud of the adjustments and I'm proud that they were able to rise above as they do over and over and over. They're first in the West and it's not changing anytime soon. I don't think everyone. So I'm um, proud of these guys. Great three points against Dallas, who we lost to earlier this season. So that feels good. Um, yeah. Anything else before we move on? I think that's a good way to close it out. You're listening to Flyover Footy on the big 550 KTRS. We've got more news for you, and it's a fun one. It's not transfer season, but somehow we still have some fun news to talk about, Matt. We want to start us off with the loans. That's what I'm most excited to talk about. Yeah, it's not incoming transfer season because the MLS incoming transfer window is long closed, but there is there are still moves that can be made, whether it's loaning domestically, whether it's uh, selling off, loaning out. And we made two moves this week. St. Louis City 2 have loaned goalkeeper Eric Walker to Indy 11 of the USL Championship for the remainder of the season. This is a, an interesting move because I don't know the situation Indy 11 have. Maybe you guys do or stay more plugged in with USL lately. But I know that I know that Walker had even been struggling for time with City 2. It's a very crowded goalkeeping field. Um, Christian Olivares has eight starts for City 2. Michael Creek has seven starts. Eric Walker has five starts. And Ben Lunt has four starts. It's spread out all over the place. And Eric Walker... It would. It, it's going to be great to see him get an opportunity to play a little more. Presumably, um, you know, being a local guy from SLU, it's exciting that he's on City too. It's exciting that we're giving him an opportunity and now to develop more, hopefully with more minutes. We got a friend over at Indy Eleven. AJ Cochran's playing over there, so maybe we can try to get a hold of him. I'm, he'll, I think he'll give us that kind of information, and maybe we'll catch up with him. It's a special season for him, so there's a little, uh, a little uh, hint at. Um, what you might get from us and AJ at the end of this season. I'm looking forward to it. Um, some more loan news though. That's yeah. not the only one, Matt. I would say the bigger one though came uh, on Wednesday, August 30th, when it was announced that St. Louis city have loaned Danish midfielder, Isak Jensen to Danish first division, Superliga club, Viborg FF through June, 2024. Now this is the first division in Denmark. And so uh, they, it says first division, Superliga. This is the top tier. Um, Viborg finished fourth in the Superliga last year. So this is a quality club, and they're looking to give Isak Jensen minutes on the left side, it sounds like, from listening to their coach talk. Uh, this really sounded like this would be a good move, um, talking about playing in his natural position, saying their coach saying, we now think we have the necessary competition in the edge positions. And so it sounds like he'll be looked to uh, at least compete or push for starting roles. It'll be fun to watch Viborg in this upcoming season because – uh, Isak Jensen is only 19 years old and he has signed, if you count the option year through 2027, this is a long-term commitment that St. Louis has made to Isak Jensen. And we know that he's seen the a vast majority of his playing time with city two, especially recently. So the, the competition that he's going to see in Denmark versus MLS next pro is going to be markedly better. And it will be exciting to follow him through June of next year. The other thing that this does is it frees up an international roster slot for the duration of his loan. And so we talk about Max Schneider being loaned to City 2. That frees up a spot. Now we have one that's freed up until essentially the next transfer window opens next summer for Isak Jensen. Mm. Stuart, how do you feel about these loans? Any thoughts? 
Uh, I think they're good. I mean, obviously, USL is a higher level than MLS Next Pro. Um, uh, Indy 11 have an injury with their starting goaltender, um, which nice. I think this loan was a sign that's it's worse than I think the fans expected. They do have five goalkeepers on the roster now, but I believe a couple of them are academy signings. Uh, so Walker will, in theory, be the number two uh goalie over there um but he'll get to train with a really good professional club um so i think it's a positive thing it also clears up the backlog with the city too um so one of those guys isn't you know playing in upsl or you know one of the upsl guys might be able to get loaned or something like that but uh i'm excited about jensen's loan viborg uh they actually or viborg they actually uh nearly qualified for European play last year. They lost to, they do like a weird playoff uh, championship style thing in uh, Denmark. Uh, They lost to Midtligard. Okay. Who might know as the club that, um, gosh, DC United's old goalie. Who was he? he just, oh yeah, he was with Memphis this year before he retired. Darn it! Yeah, um, Tim Howard. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't believe I'm blanking. But oh, former U.S. international. Um, yeah, it's bugging me. Anyways, that was the club he played for. But uh, it'll be good for Jensen to kind of get more playing time, settle back into uh, culture he's familiar with. Uh, it's. I, I'm not convinced we'll see him again uh, play for us, which is fine if he lights it up over there and he gets attention to bigger clubs and he wants to stay in Europe, then we sell for a profit, then that's, I think, good business on our end. It was Bill Hamid. Yep. Yes, Bill <laughs> Hamid, yeah. Oh, man, what a fall. That is not had. me just randomly remembering. That is me with my uh, Google sleuthing skills. <laughs> yeah, Memphis cut. I mean, loose two weeks ago, I think. Uh, so he's he's a free agent technically, but I think he's he's bound yeah. to retire. It was cool of him to kind of go down there and have some fun at the end. That's cool. Uh, you know, I love these loans. It's really awesome. Walker hopefully can get a good experience in the championship, like you said, Stuart. And, uh, you know, it, it always felt like Jensen wasn't comfortable here. So it feels like he can – I think he's going to – I'm not saying he wasn't thriving because of it. But I think he's going to enjoy being home one more time and be ready to come back and really go at it. And he he needed more playing time on a higher level. So this is definitely, like you said, better than next pro. Um, it's not quite MLS, so maybe he'll find um, some good goal scoring for him. You know, you can't help but compare it to, you know, I hope it's just going to be like what happened with Sam Adinaran. So, you know, hopefully he'll come back here, get some time with City too, score a million goals because it's too easy for him, and then and then move on up and and do well with the senior team. And I love that he signed through 27. I forgot that, Matt, that's good stuff. So 19 year old, um, on the up and up, Matt, you got more stuff for us here. I got two, two players of note heading into the sporting Kansas city game. Uh, Bradley Carnell basically said on Thursday's press conference that he gave the team a full bill of health. Um, that was with the caveat of Nico Joachini, who is listed as questionable this week on the player availability report. He was seen training solo on Thursday, seen by me, Santi, and uh, (laughs) he was off working on his own. Um, I thought at first that he had like a shoulder sling 
because he was off in the distance on the far end of the second training field. I think it was actually just the tracker that he had on, and it was just the fact that he was he was laboring, in my opinion, his right shoulder a little bit. Like I think when he was running and doing his drills, it, I noticed a noticeable swing in his left arm when he was making movements as opposed to his right, which is the shoulder that he hurt. We still don't know officially what injury he has, whether it's a sprain, dislocation, or but Carnell had said as early as the beginning of the week that he was responding better to uh, treatment and he was showing up better than what they had expected. And so he's listed as questionable. And Carnell said that he has some checks this afternoon, meaning Thursday. They're introducing him to some contact on Friday before assessing whether he can travel this weekend. Carnell did say, I'm optimistic he can travel. So that's going to be something to keep an eye on is will Nico Joachini show up in some of these travel photos the team has and whether he'll be available in Kansas City. But we do know that Jake Nerwinski will not be available against Sporting Kansas City. Uh, Nerwinski obviously has kind of fallen behind Akil Watts in the depth chart. Akil having gone, um, having subbed out in the second half, you, you think that that just opens the door for him to start and potentially play longer against Sporting Kansas City, but we will not have our, our backup right back at this point. Jake Nerwinski against Sporting Kansas City due to yellow card accumulations, I believe, because if you remember against Orlando City, he not only picked up a yellow card that was uh, suspending him for that, but then he went ahead and got the red card. Yeah. I think the red card was applied to SC Dallas and the yellow card suspension against Sporting Kansas City, but it, it doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, we won't have him. So opens this spot for another another player to make the game day roster. Interesting. You know what I forgot to ask you, Matt? Um, before we move on, this is just going to be a fun one because it's that kind of show. So if that opens up a slot with the loan of uh, Walker and Jensen. Jensen. Jensen is the main, or yeah, sorry, Jensen is the one. Uh, so, you know, fun conversation here. Who do, who fills it? Do we leave it open? Is there a City 2 player? I asked a couple questions about who people thought City 2 players deserved a senior contract. What do you think? I mean, City has never been uh, good at letting us be correct with our guesses as far as who they're <laughs> signing. I mean, you could say it opens it's never the- held me back from saying it. <laughs> no, but if, if you're looking for like an in-house guess, it opens the door for Michael Venzel to be signed to a city contract. Mm. Um, city also does have more than their allotted eight international roster slots currently, even with Isak Jensen loaned out. So there's still some wiggle room they'll have to figure out as far as acquiring some for, because they typically 99% of the time last race single year, right? So all the international slots we've acquired beyond eight, which is the allotted, um, were just for 23. We either get guys green cards or we need to acquire more, even with the Jensen loan. Um, I think it does give more flexibility though, because these international slots are easy to come by. Lutz acquired three for next to nothing. Um, but it's always good to have more flexibility on the international space. That is for sure. Stuart, you want to weigh in on and who you would uh, promote to the senior team if needed? Uh, Wenzel's a great option, but I think we're pretty stacked at center backs right now. So I don't, I don't know. We're on the four center backs. <laughs> We've done it yeah, before. My, <laughs> just, just play Wenzel up top. Um, He's got a good free kick, to be honest. So uh, <laughs> I, I think we'll be seeing Wenzel next year with City, or at least he'll get his chance next year. Uh, I mean, Glover would obviously be a fun one. I know he's on a City contract. 
Um, I mean, I'm, I'm always a sucker for uh, one of the Armstrong brothers. Um, mm. I just think they're great guys in general. Um, and I'd love to see them see some minutes at the end of the season. But no, I, I expect that um, we'll be surprised by whatever they choose because, um, yeah, like Matt said, we never quite know what, what they're going to decide. But um, I'm, I'm actually going to have to head out, guys. I got a, a baby to put down or check on. Aww. So um, thanks for having me on, as always. Night, Stu. Thanks for doing You're the best, Stu. Appreciate it. See you this weekend. Yep. See you in KC. That's right. Kansas, I mean. KCK. <laughs> <laughs> oh i love it Glad which have you make it have you seen the scarves that they have just before we get into the preview no. supporting kansas city so they have these scarves that they put out they were like skc versus stl and at the top it says i think this is one of those marketing things they've been going with it says two states one city mm. which is just factually incorrect <laughs> like ever i lived in kansas city for a period of time and kansas city kansas is 100% not Kansas City, Missouri, not just from a mm-hmm. like a cultural economic perspective, but like the history of the cities is not the same. Like it, it so for a, for a club who is um, very adept at litigating trademarks and being very specific in certain things like that, it seems to me hilarious that they're so <laughs> wildly inaccurate with what they print on their scarves. Oh my gosh. It just feels like they can't get it right. And stumbling over themselves for sure. I was about to say, I think they have two mayors for KCK and KC Mo. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know if we can point fingers here in St. Louis about too many mayors inside our metro area. So here we go. Uh, <laughs> Everybody's got their own thing. That's right. Um, I did want to say before we move on that I think Johnny Klein is a great shout that I think it I is. see what Ostrock does and and what Stroud does even sometimes. I'm like, I think Klein could do some of that, if not most of that. So yeah, it would be I, a fun one to see. My mind was going towards the international slot angle of it, but I, sure. I love Stu's Caden Glover. I love Johnny yeah. Klein. Johnny Klein is the one who's deserved it the most to me. Like Caden Glover's already on a contract. He already occupies a slot. We just got to yeah. bring him up to use him. I think Johnny Klein is the guy. And in, if anybody's proved themselves unequivocally, uh, it would be Klein and Wenzel to me at city two this year. Agree. Batachi is getting there, but I mean the consistent goal scoring and goal contributions from Klein is I don't want to say it's like surprising because we all hoped and, you know, I, I screamed in excitement for Johnny Klein to be drafted for a reason, hmm. but even I didn't figure he would have this much of an impact for city Two to the point where he's, he's pushed himself already to his limits of appearing for city. Now I think he's, I think he's playing himself into a contract just as much as anybody could. The Klein to Glover, you know, cross goal thing could be a thing in two years. You know what I mean? It could be a constant thing in two years time. Yeah, a, a lot can happen. Yeah, I would love it. So um, we, we did get one shout for Schneider. I just want to say that on Twitter, I asked that and someone yes. also shouted out Schneider. Schneider's another one like Glover, though, where he's he just has to be recalled. He already takes up a roster slot. So yeah. we just need to recall him and get him going because that's that's depth in the defensive midfield. You know, that's Blom goes on national team duty. Uh, we need we have midweek matches. Schneider is the guy who's he's almost like the prototypical CDM that we've been missing throughout this year where you look to somebody who can replace Blom. Yeah. Schneider doesn't have the same makeup and the same skill set as Blom. It's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying the positional expertise mm-hmm. that he can bring to that area. It's not um fitting a a round Vasilev into a square CDM. Mm-hmm. It's it's not trying to figure out guys who can cover. It's finding a guy who's that's his position. Completely and agree. And that's Schneider to me. 
Fun stuff, guys. Thanks for uh, joining us. We're Flyover Footy. You're listening to us on the Big 550 KTRS. Thank you for joining us. We are going to get into Sporting Kansas City now. It's been fun to talk about the Dallas game, which I think we all had so much to say. And the news has been fun. But here's the bulk of what a lot of people come to Flyover for. And it is for getting you ready for game day on Saturdays, Wednesdays. We do the breakdowns um, on Monday with Flyover Fallout. So, here we go. We're going to get you ready for Sporting Kansas City, and no better man to do it than Matt Baker, and he's right here, ready to talk about it. He's got a whole page full of notes here to break down. What you got for us, Matt? We all know what happened with St. Louis midweek, but St. Louis City comes into this match first place in the West with 47 points. We've played 26 games, held a 15-9-2 record with 52 goals scored, 33 goals against, and a plus-19 goal differential. We are 5-6-1 and one away. And this is an away game officially, depending on how the how many fans travel. It may sound different, but it is an official away game. So we look to even our record there. The form for St. Louis City past few games is uh, trending well. We won against FC Dallas at home, two to one this week. We lost to Orlando City last week, two to one. But then before that, we defeated FC Austin six to three or Austin FC. Uh, but and it and so. We're riding high into this game. We pulled the three points we needed to for our form. We've had seven clean sheets total this season, including the 4-0 win against Sporting Kansas City earlier this year. Juxtaposing that is Sporting Kansas City, who sits 11th place in the West, outside of playoff position as we speak. They only have 29 points compared to our 47 through the Mm. same number of games, 26. They have a 7-11-8 record. That's seven wins, 11 losses, and eight draws, because that's how MLS does it. 34 goals scored, 36 goals against, minus two goal differential. They are 6-5-2 and two at home. So it's not an overwhelmingly stellar record, but they are markedly better at home than they are away. I think beating Chivas in the League's Cup at home was a little testament to that. But their form recently, they defeated the San Jose Earthquakes 3-0 last week. And before that, it was League's Cup, where they escaped their group stage after having drawn FCC, uh, FC Cincinnati and beat Chivas one nothing. Then they lost the round of 16 match away, quote unquote, to Toluca 4-1, even though that was played at Children's Mercy Park. Sporting Kansas City has had a tale of two seasons, and it kind of, I, I've seen it bookend with St. Louis City in that crushing defeat at City Park for them. They went winless in their first 10 matches, if you remember. Uh, it was it was quite comical when they came into St. Louis and and they had this awful awful streak first 10 matches of the season when we beat them four to nothing in may they had they were completely winless it was laughable since then though they've gone five three and four so nothing overwhelmingly um over the top but still a winning record and they're starting to claw their way back into playoff position mls makes it easy with nine teams and they're they're getting there on the season we have seven clean sheets they have six here's the interesting thing about their clean sheets Three of those were 0-0 draws, and the other three were 3 nothing wins. In fact, five of their seven wins this year have been by three or more goals. So if and when they win, they usually win big. This is, a, this is something to keep an eye out for me this weekend is can St. Louis's defense mitigate the goal-scoring prowess that Sporting Kansas City usually has when they win? That's uh, big stuff there. I'm surprised they're a win big kind of team. Usually I think of pressing teams like St. Louis is like that clearly, but it's when it rains, it pours for them. Yeah, I guess something to look out for, for sure. Um, you want to move on to player availability? 
Yeah, they're a mostly healthy team. Um, they have two players, I believe, that are questionable. At last I saw earlier today, Gotti Kinda, uh, one of their designated players. He was a late scratching at San Jose. Peter Vermees, their coach and sporting director, said that he will be available against St. Louis, but despite the fact of being back in training this week, he's still on their player availability report as questionable, as is Johnny Russell, who picked up an ankle injury after the San Jose match. Post-game of San Jose, he said he was quoted as saying, it's pretty sore right now, but it's still fresh. I'll get treatment on it now to try and stop the swelling and get it under control and take it from there. We'll reassess in the next couple of days and see what the damage is. He has not been training all week with Sporting Kansas City. Uh, and so showing up on the questionable report, I've heard such things from analysts or media in Sporting Can- in Kansas by saying that if it was any other game or any other person, they would expect Russell would sit or that type of player would sit. Hmm. But being Johnny Russell, being St. Louis, it seems like they're trying to talk him up or talk him as the as the bleeding sock kind of guy who's willing to fight through the pain to beat the dogged rivals. Big time uh, Scottish energy coming from that man, uh, rightfully so. Uh, he is that. Uh, you got you, if you hate SKC, you still gotta love uh, Russell. He's such yeah. a, a cool player. Um, now let's move on to the big stories, things to look out for this week. Yeah, I have uh, I have three kind of fun stories and narratives to watch, and they're mostly from the St. Louis side, to be honest. Um, this is the second of third match against Sporting Kansas City, so keep in mind the big picture that we had three games scheduled. This is the only match that we'll play in Kansas, and so the first game we all know was a 4 nothing win by St. Louis, and that was a very um, unique kind of turnaround game. If you remember the week leading up to that, it mm. wasn't just the hype and the hoopla of the soccer capital, the soccer city, the Missouri History Museum, the billboards all over I-70 and Highway 40. It was it was St. Louis needing a turnaround. They needed a bounce back. They had had the, suffered their first losing streak. Um, the left back situation was perilous. It was Kyle Hebert's first match in at left back, and mm-hmm. we were trying to find ourselves. And in this match, uh, we find ourselves also without Klaus because this occurred May 20th and we lost Klaus April 22nd. We still had not found ourselves without Klaus. This was the game where Indiana Vasilev featured as the number 10 for the first time and scored two goals himself. We had a goal by Nico Joachini and a PK by Edu Leuven that started all of it. So in that game, if you remember the Dallas stats I had where it was like 66% possession on the St. Louis side against Dallas, this match against Sporting Kansas City the last time played exactly as we expected with the 67% possession by Kansas city, mm-hmm. the shots, the shots on target, they were all pretty much even, but this in and, in and of itself, the, the fact that this is the second of third of three matches, knowing the styles of play by these two teams, I think this is, it definitely has the makings and potentiality on the field for an intense rivalry, given how the, the expectations coming into that match and the the trash talk between fans was kind of at an all-time high that we've seen so far because we wanted it so bad. And we had heard from their players, uh, from their media, saying the players really aren't treating this as much of a rivalry. They, they, didn't, they weren't there yet. And mm. juxtaposing to our players where post-game, pre-game he was alluding to it, Indiana Vasilev, post-game he straight out said, we heard how much our fans didn't like this team and wanted this, and, and we channeled that. So that's the type of... That's the type of uh, inward channeling that our team did from what our fan base was sending across. I think that that energy is there. The frustrating thing to me is that we only have two or three days to focus on this mm-hmm. match, right? 
because of the FC Dallas midweek, the full week's uh, hoopla isn't there like it was before. And so we are now at the point where we're talking about is 60% of Children's Mercy going to be city red? How many thousands of St. Louis fans are going just beyond the, the away supporter section that is expected to have 500 or so tickets? And so all of these different intangibles going into it, we have Sporting Kansas City rounding into a better form, coming off of a big win against San Jose, St. Louis coming off a big win midweek against FC Dallas. Like who's who's going to give in this match? And not even getting into the styles yet, which is very fascinating to me, it's this, it's this makings of a rivalry. It's the second match. Are we going to see the need for a rubber match to occur in September? Or are we going to go for the clean sweep? Like these are these are some of the fun stories that I like to follow, and it, it really does get amplified by how well is St. Louis going to be traveling? Sporting Kansas City fans traveled decently well, but it wasn't overwhelming given the fact that we saw Club America and what that stadium looked mm-hmm. like. I, that's the bar for me at Sporting at City yeah. Park is Club America. Sporting Kansas City doesn't even approach that level, so I'm interested in what we can do over there. That's a good comp, actually. That would be really fun to kind of embarrass them in that way, because I was embarrassed about the Club America thing, um, yeah. even though that's just the nature of of the the competition there. Uh, but I, I want to just reiterate um, that Indy quote is my favorite of the year. I think he said a little something closer to something like uh, St. Louis hates KC, so I do too. It's yes. just like vibes of like that best friend who's got your back no matter what. He yes. doesn't care. He's like, you hate that guy. I hate that guy too. Let's, Let's go. go. <laughs> so I love that. And, uh, you know, there's no Reddit rumor that's uh, too good or bad for this show. It's a fun one, right? 67% of tickets we'll sold belong to city. I think Stuart said something like that doesn't even include the, the KC residents that are from St. Louis expats. He put it. Uh, yeah. Looking at like seat geek addresses and data of, of who's buying these tickets on yeah, that. There's mm-hmm. a lot. There's a lot that's uh, going to be interesting to see come game day. Yep. Yep. Good stuff. Uh, but I also liked what you said there that they've only got three days to prepare, but I think it's, you know, I love that same, uh, that Kansas city plays right into our hands. Like they possess the ball that 67 33 possession is like, okay, thank you. This is what we want. So I think it's a bit of a relief after what happened in Dallas, like having to play way outside their comfort zone uh, yeah. city. That is, that this is probably, unless Casey makes massive adjustments, this is probably going to be more in their wheelhouse. So I look forward to them looking comfortable on the field. Yeah, and when we start to talk about our starting lineup predictions later on as we finish up, some of the key, I think, player stats or at least player relationship stats that are really interesting that I've been following are how well are some of our players um, performing when they're paired together as far as the standings and the wins-losses go. And... So I, I posted this on Twitter earlier today, but when in games where Akeel Watts starts the game at right back, Josh Yarrow starts the game at center back, and AZ Jackson starts the game as our 10, our attacking midfielder, we are now 6-0. and After winning against FC Dallas, we kept mm-hmm. that streak alive. Sam Adeneron, he was in for a, a game we lost uh, against Orlando, so he brings it down a little bit, but still Sam's pretty high with that group. That group all started with the San Jose Earthquakes game, where it was supposed to be an away rotation and they they made the splash they needed to to stay in the lineup. And that's why, even up till now, this is we're a month and a half later, uh, almost two months, Akil Watts, Josh Yarrow, AZ Jackson, and basically Sam Adeneron are all mainstays in our starting lineup now. And it, it has snowballed. That's the kind of effect that these players can have when they're successful. And speaking of success, 
Jabulu Blom by himself. We are 10-2-1 when he starts. This is the difference maker. The guy who's 10-2-1 when he starts, and he plays the important role of the central defensive midfield. Difference maker, unequivocally. Mm. It gets really interesting, though, when you add Parker, Tim Parker, to the equation, because in games where Jabulu Blom and Tim Parker have started together, we are 10-1-1. There's one game in there where Parker didn't start. He was suspended that Blom did, and we ended up losing. Add in Edu Leuven to that equation, where Parker, Leuven, and Blom start together, we're 7-0-1, the one being the Galaxy draw. Seven wins, no losses, one draw when Blom, Parker, and Leuven all start together. Hmm. That's good stuff. Um, I want to say that Blom, I love that you put that in there, the 10-2-1 when he starts. I think that's massive. He's looking weird in the last few weeks. I don't know if you feel that way, but he's having a lot of giveaways. I know he didn't get called up to the South African team on this last call-up. Yeah. I don't think that has anything to do with it. I wasn't trying to imply that. But, um, man, he looks weird. He doesn't look super confident. Every once in a while, he gets to do what he's good at, and he crushes it, right, on a yeah. counter, or it's just a loose ball, and he's able to get it and hold on to it. Um, and he looks like a normal... Jabulo Blom in those moments, but man, something's up with that guy. I've been watching him. I hope he gets a nice solid game here in SKC for uh, uh, a little bit of confidence. Um, we've been talking a lot, Matt. I, I think we should maybe choose one or two more things before we kind of do our predictions because we have a lot of questions relating yeah. to that prediction. I want to go into the style. I, I think that we know a lot about the key players for Sporting Kansas City, Alan Polito, Daniel Saloy, Eric Tommy, Johnny Russell, Gotti Kinda. We've got designated players. We've got 10 goal scorer in Polito. I mean, these guys are their names that we know in St. Louis and we'll keep an eye out for in their attack. But the I alluded to the styles and how they seem to align with each other. The way that the first game went where Sporting Kansas City had 67% possession, St. Louis had 33. This is how this game is probably going to go. And I asked Bradley Carnell in the press conference on Thursday about that, about how the styles, it's not so much concerned about sticking to your principles because Sporting Kansas City is very they're okay with St. Louis sticking to their principles and trying to wear themselves out and attack and be fearless and ferocious and, and push themselves at each opportunity because sporting Kansas city will possess until the end of time. And they're fine with that. They're okay. Working the ball around. They feel confident in their ability to control the ball. They have some record setting passes per sequence. They've got, I think they've set the record in the league for the most 10, 10 plus passing sequence games. So they're willing to just pass the ball, switch the ball, move the ball around with short opportunities. This is their game, and St. Louis is the complete opposite. Yeah. The, some of the stats that I love to use is that St. Louis is the most direct and has the second fewest passes per sequence. Kansas City is on the opposite end near Seattle and Columbus. They've got the eighth slowest uh, offense in direct speed. They've got the fourth most passes per sequence overall. In sequence time, St. Louis is second fastest while Sporting Kansas City is the fourth most. They've, they've got one of the longest sequences on average. And that goes to Sporting controlling over 50% of the possession through their entire defensive half and on both wings as well. So if you're talking about where they're most dangerous and where they like to control the ball, it is over 50% possession throughout their entire defensive half as well as on both wings. They seed control within the channels less than 50%. And for St. Louis, it's the exact opposite. St. Louis only has more than 50% possession within the channels in their defensive half, and they seed possession everywhere else. These are complete opposite play styles, complete opposite portions of the field. And just like the first game, 
I think this is going to be a battle of the efficiency and the efficacy as opposed to which style is going to win out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think to add to that, um, the stat that stood out to me is, you know, Peter Vermes still makes them play Peter Vermes ball. So they're very good at, sept- at intercepting the ball. Yep. And early in the season, that was something that really got to City. I think they've improved on countering that kind of ability. Um, but, you know, SKC can get away with the style they they perform at times just from that alone. Um, so something to watch. And and they do try to wear out their opponents. You're right. I mean, that's they yeah. they will they will do that. They'll play Vermes ball, and and it was criticized at the beginning of the year when they were off to such a slow mm-hmm. start, and there was the Vermes out campaigns were being had, and the fans were writing letters, and their supporter groups were sending posts on social media saying this we need to do better. But they they have done a little better to the point where Vermes's job is safe, as far as I could tell. Yeah. But the quote that he had recently, um, kind of, it's it stuck with me because of the wrinkle that it could throw into this entire um, game plan. So there's there's the moments in the game that are made, and Vermes quote recently said, they when they've had success, he said, quote, you start moving the ball and you're, you're keeping the ball, and all of a sudden you get a level of confidence, and then you start to play very instinctively as opposed to thinking about. Hey, I've got to be there. I've got to be here. You just have to start to move into the places based on your spatial awareness of the game. Mm. And then that led into, I mentioned the Chivas game where they beat Chivas 1-0 in Leagues Cup. Um, there was an interesting kind of quote that I think is going to be important for players like Joachim Nilsson, Tim Parker, and Josh Arrow to keep in mind where Peter Vermes said there are other times when you're in the back and it's not on. And when you're trying to come out, you can't play. Sometimes, like I said, you just got to put it out over the top. You got to go counter press them and see if they can use, see if you can use field position. It's almost like you're playing like the NFL at that moment. It's all about mm. field position with the ball. So this whole idea of sporting Kansas city possessing is with the very keen eye of progressing the ball. Like they're not just going to possess the ball in their defensive third and just deal with it back and forth. They're going to progress the ball very slowly, methodically. And he, what Vermees is saying here is if that's not working, Sometimes you do have to send in. You have to look for the long run so your attackers will be in that position where they might start at midfield and they they make a run. So we're going to see some of those opportunities just as much as we're going to see that continuous possession. Yeah, and one one thing I saw, another stat, was they do possess the ball, millions of passes, but they pass much more. They might rank much higher in passes in the attacking zone than passes in their own zone as far as MLS comps. So that shows that, you know, they're, they're not just passing it around. They have uh, a purpose to what they're doing. And and another great quotes, Matt of of Carnell. And another one I saw one of you guys post was that, you know, he's like, you'll see Kansas city pass it all over the field for two minutes and it'll just somehow end in a Johnny Russell goal. So it's like, it's a purposeful thing. It does work. I don't think it'll work against City. So I, I hope that plays out that way. We'll see. It's it's the the fullbacks or wingbacks, however they end up looking, that's going to be key, is the fact that Sporting Kansas City loves to control possession down the wings, that's going to put pressure on our fullbacks. And I can see a situation where Kyle Hebert starts because they want to give additional mm-hmm. defensive, uh, defensive help on that left side in the wing. But also, I think, even if we have Marcanic and Watts or however that ends up looking, that's going to be some areas of the game to really pay attention to is are their offensive wingers, our defensive fullbacks and who wins those battles when the ball is sent long, because otherwise I'm looking at 
some of these midfield positions and some of our attacking uh, wide mids to really be strong with their push points and prevent the ball from being progressed in this uh, methodical way that Sporting Kansas City likes to. Good stuff, Matt. Um, that leads us right into the next into the next point. Uh, we got questions from STL City Italians and Jonathan Himmelberg asked a question on, it looks like, YouTube, actually. Um, so we'll combine these kind of into one as we give our uh, guesses of the formation of the game. Uh, STL City Italians, did this game answer any questions about our starting 11? Uh, what our starting 11 will be moving forward? Can we get a solid breakdown on playoff roster in the upcoming podcast? We'll probably touch on playoffs. We're going another time. We're going a little long here. But Jonathan asks... How are you guys feeling about Hebert at this point? Do you think the left back starting spot is up for grabs for Marcanic? Great question. I think that's very relevant to what we're about to do here. Yeah, I do think it's up for grabs. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think Kyle Hebert's done anything in the last two or three games to cement his role as our left back. And it's a crowded center back spot. So it's hard to say with certainty that he has put in the lineup in pen every single game, especially when you look at uh, and it's it's a, it's the most overblown type of example, but this FC Dallas game where they had the lowest of blocks and you had to find a way to break through. Well, a defensive-minded left back isn't going to serve you much of a purpose in that. You look at what Sporting Kansas City typically does with their possession-based offense, and yeah, they're going to progress it a little more, and they're not going to drop back in as low of a block. But if you're looking to if you're looking to make the kind of uh, offensive maneuvering that we did in the first game with Indiana Vassilev and Nico Joachini, all the success that we had in progressing the ball quickly, it's easily it's easy to see how valuable an attacking-minded fullback can be. The trick, like I said, though, is going to be in this game here, Sporting Kansas City, tactically, can you afford to do that with your fullbacks knowing that the wingers of Sporting Kansas City can be so deadly in controlling the ball and creating space to send in crosses or to create chances that start from the wide areas. And so what are you going to, when you stick to your principles, what's really going to give here? Are you going to go kind of old school Carnell earlier this year with that 90 minutes of an attacking minded left back in addition to the right back? Or are you going to go with something that has worked more often than not? And that's Kyle Hebert's defensive minded left back. Because remember, I mentioned Kyle Hebert, he started at left back and he hasn't relinquished it since the first Sporting Kansas City game. It would would be a measure of poetry if he relinquished it at the second one. But Mm -hmm. the run that we've been on since Sporting Kansas City has enabled us to continue to be in first place where we had fallen out of first place at that point after our uh, three-game losing streak. And we hadn't been able to figure things out. He helped stabilize our back line. Mm -hmm. And we could be at a point where we're in a different place offensively that we need a different look and we we need to start stringing together more games with open goals or open play goals. So Marcanic, to me, deserves every opportunity, including spot starts here and there. So just like we had with Josh Yarrow and Akil Watts and AZ and Sam, give him an opportunity to start, whether it's against Sporting Kansas City or the LA Galaxy, and see if he can take it. Because if he does and it's effective, then it's his. Yeah, we're mind-melding, Matt, because I was thinking the same thing about Hebert. I saw that question. I was like, do we... Do we pull Hebert when it's been working against Sporting Kansas City? And I don't think so. And something else else to add to that, that I don't think we can bet on a change quite yet because we haven't seen Marcanic forced to defend a full 90. And that's, you know, in whatever system we have, that's 
where her fullbacks get absolutely left for dead. We've even seen as good as Watts has been, he is absolutely, you know, the team has given up a goal when Watts was way upfield um, in, in two games ago. And it was, it was bad to see, but it, I think what is being asked of our fullbacks, that's the challenge. And can Mark Hanick do that? We see here, Bilbo Swaggins um, has commented here and there. And he said that he remembered seeing Mark Hanick whiff pretty bad on, on a run from Pomacall. And, and I think he did. I think he stepped right around. Yeah. Him. That happens. That's just one thing. But what does he do in a 90 minute game? And that's the question, right? And that's part of why I just want to, I want to see him out there. I want to see him given an opportunity because of what he's shown us in the past couple of games offensively. To me, that offensive mindedness is incredibly valuable from the left side. We've been missing Mm -hmm. it and it's kind of allowed some vulnerabilities to develop there on the left as far as um, our our tactical abilities go. And so can Markanic be defensively sound to the point where you trust him as a two-way player? If he doesn't, if he isn't given the opportunity when he's shown that he can be an offensive player, then I don't know what we're doing with him. Like yeah. he deserves that opportunity, whether it's now or in the next game or two. And maybe the fixture congestion that's about to come up uh, when we return home against LAFC next month is the time to do it. But there has to be a time to let him shine. I think that's the blessing in, in compared to the curse. The, you know, the, the potential curse is how many games away from the playoffs are we here? What is it? Eight, seven. And this is when we're going to start experimenting with a new attacking left back. That sounds pretty scary to me, but if we have congestion, if we're an athletic squad that needs to rotate, then why not? That's your perfect excuse to give it a shot. You know, I was talking to my brother-in-law who's an SKC fan uh, lives in Kansas city. Um, you know, he's like, yeah, we had, were piled up with games in the beginning of the season. St. Louis is piled up with games at the end and we'll see what kind of losing streaks you guys get. I mean, he was a little bitter after that last game. Um, but it's a good point and, uh, maybe we can use it to our advantage here. Yep. Let's talk about, let's just give our, our lineups and predictions and, and get out of here, Matt. Is that okay? Yeah. One thing I do want to say, because we're touching on Kyle Hebert a bit and the sporting Kansas city game, I'm looking at the stats of Kyle Hebert's throughout the season as far as when we've won, when we've lost, uh, and we've drawn since he's played. And since that Sporting Kansas City game where he's debuted as left back, games where he's featured, we have gone nine, three, and one. Nine wins, three losses, one draw in games that he's featured. Um, This does include the Nashville game where he was all over the place and had a terrible time (laughs) at right back. Uh, Before that, where Kyle Hebert was featured at center back, that included the Klaus the Klaus run, the run of form of like Minnesota and Seattle and the Rapids games where Kyle Hebert featured at center back. We were five, four and one. So winning record, but you know, nine, three and one with Hebert at left back. That's one of 11 players. I'm not saying correlation equals causation, but it's just an interesting note. Good stuff. All right, Matt, you go first. Cause I'm going to choose mine based on what you pick. Yeah, I, I almost regret what I put, but I'm going to stick to it. You know, why not? Um, I mentioned Markanic, and so I have Berkey, Markanic, Parker, Nilsson, and Watts, Jabulu Blom, Edu Leuven, and then I'm going with Nukvi Thorson getting his first start, Indiana Vasilev, and AZ Jackson. I think Thorson's going to start up top. No, I've got Klaus in there too. There's 11 players. Oh, so, Klaus is starting, yeah, yeah. huh? Let me redo this. I'm going to go with <laughs> Berkey, Markanic. Parker, Nilsson, Watts. And the midfield is Jabulu Blom, Edu Leuven. And then we've got Thorson kind of on the left, AZ in the middle, Indy on the right, and Klaus up top returning for his first start. 
Okay, four, two, three, one. All right. Yeah. Here's the hard thing is I want to do a five-man back line just for the fun of it. Do it. Um, and it's hard for me to pick the attacker. So let's see what I can do on the fly here. Um, so I will also start Mark Hanick, but I will put in Hebert. I think Nilsson starts this one. Um, I don't know if he was 90 minutes ready to go three times in a week, but he's had um, since last Saturday to rest. So Hebert, Nilsson, Parker, of course, mm. um, and then Watts on the right. Now, here's the fu- the weird part is I got to pick out. So we'll say Leuven and Blom for sure together. And then how do I get Azeel Jackson into this? I think it'll be Big Sam. And then let's just say underneath. This is just for fun because I love this idea. Let's say I'm going to say Sam starts because I think Klaus will be the super sub again. And then I'm going to put Jackson and Thorison underneath him so it'll be like a christmas tree like a five is that enough players five three two one so add indiana in the midfield so it'll be three blown Leuven, indiana so it'll be five three two one yep christmas tree that's too many players i've no you're right five three two say that say the names again i did it right the first time so okay. don't add indy so it'll be yeah. Three center backs, Watson Marcanic on yep. the wings. So in between them will be Leuven and Blom. And then I'll put Thorson and Jackson underneath Sam to start. I like that. So and three, I think four, two, one. I, I like that. Um, it, I'm worried about what our right side would look like. And uh, I would wonder if that would end up looking kind of like a four, four, two, just with the personnel. But if you're talking about an actual three center back, I wonder what we do on our right side there. I'd be excited to see those people on the, in, on the field at the same time though. Yeah. And at the end it was looking something like that because we did not have wide attackers. It was, you know, you know a striker and then attacking mids doing, I'm not sure what, but <laughs> yeah, width is, width is the thing, especially defensively that I worry about in this game. And I want to make sure that we have, so like a four, four, two diamond, I'm, I don't really want to see as much, sure. but I, I am very interested to see if our formation continues to be one way defensively and then shift another way offensively, which it has done lately with Hebert at left back. So if, if Marcanic actually does start, I kind of see us being a little more um, normalized in that mm-hmm. way, like we were earlier in the season. But either way, I mean, this just underscores, Phil, how many options we have with yeah. the types of players and the versatility that we have. It's it's insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, the most fun there is just like, what would our defense look like with Parker, Nilsson, and Hebert all playing center back roles? It'd be fun. It'd be fun. Well, we still haven't seen the lineup yet of Berkey, Parker, Blom, Leuven, and Klaus. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's our, our theoretical uh, top choice spine. And we, we still haven't seen that yet. And I'd throw Nilsson in there too. Nilsson, yes. I always, miss, I always miss one. Parker, yeah. Nilsson, Blom, Leuven. And claps. It'd be fun. We'll get it. Maybe we'll get it. <laughs> Here's hoping. all right. Do we do scores? What do you think? I've got written down three nothing. I mean, it's. Nice. I think we 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 run it against them, and the only reason it's three is because they shaved off a point because it's their home stadium. Yeah. Okay. I like that. Three one is what I would guess. I think they'll get. Pardon me. I think they'll get one at home. Um, because it is you know it is still their home and they got good crowds normally so. Yeah. 
we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Uh, that's it from us. Flyover Footy on the Big 550 KTRS. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for sending your questions. If you can like, subscribe, and send us a review, it does help us a lot. I know it's that thing that we got to say, but, you know, we don't have ads, so deal with that, okay? Enjoy it while you can. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, again, for listening. It's Matt Baker. I'm Phil Grooms. We'll talk to you next time. Go City. Go City.